Father, the wounds of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. He felt so deeply. He knew in advance he wanted the cup to pass from him. He understood fully. Unlike us, his physiology was perfection. He felt everything in ways that we cannot. He understood. And yet it didn't matter because the joy set before him, us, led him there. He paid the price, the cost, that we might be saved. Lord, we're eternally grateful and thankful. We thank you through the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So Triple M, that's been something in our life for a long time. In fact, I could be known as uh, Abu Meme Thalath or Thalath Meme. I don't know what the grammar is, but 3Ms, 3M Corporation, in fact, Michelle, Marie, and Melinda, our daughters. And our youngest turned 40 yesterday. So it's been a little while. But I, w- I want to say something uh, as well about Kim Ahn. She is extraordinarily competent in what she does. And I just would really hear on uh, live streaming and so forth, uh, your children will enjoy it because she covers all the bases. Nothing is left to... Uh, chance. And so really thank you, Kim, on that all that you do. Blaise Pascal was one of the greatest philosophers and mathematicians who ever lived. It stuns me as I look into history and I see men and women like him who, even though he only lived to be 39 years old, He is known for probability theory, Pascal's wager, Pascal's triangle, Pascal's law, Pascal's theorem, Pascal's calculator. In fact, he effectively invented calculus. He made great strides in pressure and and vacuum. In fact, atmospheric units of measurements are dedicated to him. They're called Pascal's. He did way more than that, too. He actually designed the first public transit system in Paris. This guy was uh, unparalleled in his mind. In fact, he was one of the, the dominating figures in human history. But he had a secret. A secret that he told no one. A secret that was revealed only after... His death, it was a secret that he literally kept close to his heart. And people had noted a change, but they didn't know why. It was because of this secret. This why was a gift of God to him after what was, by all accounts, a terrifying evening before that caused him to reflect on his own mortality. So if it was such a secret, how do we know? Well, in August of 1662, just a few days 
after he died, a servant was cleaning out his room. And as he folded Pascal's jacket, he noted that there was something inside of it that had been sewn there. And so he immediately took it to her sister, she, his sister, Pascal's sister. He unstitched it, and what she found in there was parchment. And it was a parchment that, in Pascal's own handwriting from eight years before, that read this. The year of grace, 1654, Monday, November 23rd, from about 10.30 in the evening to about half an hour after midnight, fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the philosophers and savants, Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. Thy God shall be my God, forgetting the world and everything except God. He is only found by the paths taught in the gospel. Grandeur of the human soul, just Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy. Joy, joy, tears of joy, I separated myself from him. My God, will you abandon me? May I not be eternally separated from him. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God of whom you have sent, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. I separated myself from him, I fled him, renounced him, crucified him. May I never be separated from him. He is only kept by the paths taught in the gospel, total and sweet renunciation, total submission to Jesus Christ, eternally in joy for a day of trial on earth. Amen. This was not some episodic feeling or an ordinary abstract insight that Pascal had. No, this was a turning point. This was a decision point in his life. Something colossal happened. And as best we can tell, it was Pascal was in the presence of the Holy Spirit, and there he experienced certainty and joy and submission, a clarification of life that changed his course of life. Today, we find a secret revealed in Scripture. If you're already there, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 13, I will explain that. In Ephesians 3, 1 through 13, the apostle says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation. As I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit of God. This mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me 
by the working of His power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Now, verse 6 makes clear what the mystery, the revealed secret was. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And verse 5 tells us that God had withheld that mystery from previous generations. He didn't withhold it because he likes withholding things. It was a matter of timing. It was the time to reveal this mystery. The truth is those who came before Paul didn't understand, even though God had hinted at it. Now, you have to understand, why did I open with a secret and he's talking about a mystery? It's precisely this. Biblically speaking... A mystery is not a Sherlock Holmes sense of a mystery. In other words, it's not something that you can figure out if you're clever enough or if you're smart enough like Sherlock Holmes. So I mean, I've never made a mystery, I should say, of my fondness for J.R.R. Tolkien's writings. In fact, I celebrate them. In his book, The Hobbit, there and back again, uh, there's a story of where Bilbo and Gollum get into a uh, very serious game of riddles. If you've read that, you know. The cost of failure by Gollum was to escort Bilbo out of the caves, and the cost of failure by Bilbo was his life. And one of the riddles that Gollum asked Bilbo was this, this thing's this thing, all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. Now those of you who are familiar with the great Chuck Norris might be thinking that he's the answer. Okay, so some of you know what I'm talking about, but just a little background if you didn't get that uh, comment. Uh, worldwide, there are these satirical factoids about uh, Chuck Norris, a martial artist and actor um, who I met a few years ago and who, in fact, is a believer in our Lord Jesus Christ. These facts about him are hyperbole uh, related to his toughness and his attitude and, and skill. So one fact that's recently surfaced is related to his speed, of course, and his, his courage. As, as cats gathered around the table, they marveled at the chuck-like reflexes of the cat who just last week leaped from a five-story building and simply walked away. Uh, or the time when a king cobra bit Chuck Norris, and after five agonizing days, the, the cobra died. <laughs> 
anyway, you, you get the point. But Norris is not the right answer. This thing, all things devours, birds, beasts, trees, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones to meal, slays king, ruins town, and beats high mountain down. So I hope that my intentional bunny trail allowed you to come up with the right answer, which of course is time. Now we like riddles precisely because they make us think. They cause us to be able to get into our minds and say, what does this mean? Because a good riddle must what? A good riddle has to have an answer that you can figure out if you just ponder it long enough. That is not what is in view here at all. No riddle can solve this. No amount of intellect can sort it through. This was something that God revealed himself to the apostles. And we don't think anything of it at all because we have 2,000 years of Christian history behind us. But this was staggering. The Bible uses this term mystery not to refer to something that if you have enough information you could figure out. No, it's a secret. It's a sacred secret. It's something that God has not revealed until this time. It's something that was hidden in the past but was revealed to Paul. I mean, you've got to understand, the Apostle Paul was one of the most educated, most brilliant men who ever lived, certainly at the level of Pascal. He was brilliant, but it wasn't his brilliance. This was not a product of Paul's understanding or his intelligence. This was something that was revealed to him by the Spirit of God, and it reinforced this basic point that the work of God in Christ, and hear this, please, because too many people labor on this. It is not a puzzle to be solved by clever thinking. It is a secret to be received by the humble, by the Spirit. It's just something that you receive. You don't figure salvation out. It's something that you enter into. It's something that you experience. Now, God had hinted at this mystery throughout the Old Testament in some ways. There was never a question that Gentiles would be saved. In Genesis, all the way back, the first book of the Bible, in 12.3, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth all the families of the earth, all the ethnos, all the nations, the word that we translate here as Gentiles, all the nations will be blessed in you. Not only that, in Isaiah, much further into the Bible, chapter 19, it says, In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria, the Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. 
it is crystal clear in the Bible that Gentiles would come to faith. There's nowhere you can go and not see that. But no one had a glimmer as to what the mystery actually was. It was not the fact that Gentiles would be saved. I mean, we just read two verses to show that. No, God told us the mystery. And the mystery is something that really shows His grace. Yeah, and I want you to note something in the text here. Uh, Paul is going to write a prayer. That's what Paul's doing. But he's taken in by the marvel of this thing to such a degree that he interrupted himself. He interrupted himself. In three one, it says, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, look in your Bibles, what follows? It's a dash. There's, a, there's something that's happened there that he doesn't pick up again until verse 14. Paul is going to take a detour. His mind is so captured by this. And as you'll recall, he talked about it, the, uh, we talked about it, uh, the week before, and he wrote about it in the previous chapter. His train of thought really doesn't come back to where it is until verse 14, which we will look at next week. So the mystery is now on full display. In verses 2 through 5, he says, Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So in verse 2, what you have is Paul is essentially giving his job description. This is who I am. And what he is, is an administrator of grace. In fact, the word that's used here for administration, we've heard before. We know it in English. It's oikonomia, which with just very little imagination, you can think of the word economy. That's where we get our word economy from. And what it means is to manage, to manage a household. Now, most of us don't have enough money to pay someone to manage our households. We do it ourselves. But Paul has been called by God to manage the household of grace, to share grace with those lost in sin. Our annual theme right here, uh, as you can read, is amazing grace. And it ties in just here. Paul argues that this mystery, this secret, is a mystery of grace. And what God did was made something that was unknown, known. And when he did that, that's what it showed was his amazing grace. And what is the content? Even though we've looked at it, we haven't actually gotten there quite yet. I want you to mark this carefully in your heart's in your minds, because it is actually one of the keys to properly interpreting all of Scripture. And that is this. The mystery was that Jews and Gentiles were put on the same basis. And now there are three divisions given by God 
of mankind. Jews, Gentiles, and as we'll see right now, the church. Paul said this as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, 32, when he said, Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel's members of the same body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. God has created a new people. Living stones, building up a precious temple as we saw uh, last week. The church, and that's what he says in verse 10. That's where we have the answer to this. His, that is God's, intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known. This is a fascinating ending here, isn't it? To the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. You know, this is one of those things that angels desire to look into because they can't figure out. They can't figure it out. People can't figure it out. God did something when he made and created the church. And the church is made up of, in this day, Jews and Gentiles who come to believe in Christ Jesus. Together we become a new people, the church. And now, when I say church, uh, I mean that in two ways. First, I, I mean the church universal. That is, all the believers in Jesus Christ from all times and all places who put their trust in Christ, dead and living. The local church, though, is something different. That's where we're at now. This is a local expression of the church universal, first colony. It's limited in size. There are not, not a billion of us in here. We, but we are part of a larger body, and that's important to recognize. But how did he do this? How did he create this new man, as he calls this new humanity, this new entity, the church, and how did he do it? He did it by making himself known through Jesus Christ. Jesus lived an innocent life and he died in our place to make salvation known to us. We're told that if we repent of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will receive forgiveness of sins. More than that, we will receive the holiness of Christ. Now that's mystery. That is a secret that was not revealed until Jesus Christ died. And we're called to make that mystery known to others. I mean, we have an obligation. The Apostle Paul had an obligation. We have an obligation as well. The church began on the day of Pentecost. And one day, the church is going to be taken from the earth when Christ Jesus returns. But for now, as verse 10 tells us, the church is on display. It's on display to all the authorities of the universe. And it's on to display to testify to one thing. The wisdom of God. The manifold wisdom of God. 
the Apostle Paul preached this mystery, and we will preach this mystery as, as well. And when we gather here on Sundays, it may appear as a mundane thing. You going to church today? Yeah. Yeah, I might be a little late, but, you know, it's all right. You know. It appears perhaps a very normal part of our life. We work it into our schedule. We, you know, we put it on the calendar maybe. We show up. Sometimes we sit by the same people. We sit in the same spots. Nobody sit in my spot. <laughs> no, we, it, it, becomes a, it just becomes a something that we do. We sing songs, sometimes out of new song books. Thank you, Jennifer. Sometimes we listen to sermons. <laughs> it all may appear very mundane, but I want to say something. That if you can see what's happening here with the eyes of your heart, with your spiritual eyes, you would see something extraordinary happening. You would see the transformational power of the Holy Spirit running through us, changing us, but changing us in ways that may be so slowly that we don't know, but decisions, life decisions, decisions about our integrity, decisions about our morality, decisions that we make are being made all the time based on our fellowship with one another based on our understanding of what the Word of God says, based on who we are in Christ. And it's all because Christ is creating a safe context for us to grow and to develop in such a way that our being created in His image can have some kind of expression. And hopefully that would be a full-throated expression it's really an amazing thing that these decisions and these bits and pieces of our lives that change because we're here is extraordinary there was a uh, number of years ago in england there was kind of a, a editorial battle that went back and forth in terms of our sermons necessary I mean, after all, you can read a good book. After all, you can go on Right Now Media and, and hear the best preachers in the world. After all, there are podcasts. After all, there are all of these kinds of things. And besides that, people only have an attention span of about seven minutes. And then you can manipulate that to where it comes out to about 21 minutes if you're really Good. Are sermons really necessary? And so it went back and forth. Uh, some people said, you know what? They're really not. They're really not. I can worship God out on Galveston Beach. Not today, probably. Wait for some sunshine. But I can do it there just as well as I can do it in the church. You know, because it's me and God kind of a thing, right? And there is place for that, but not in place of this. Well, this thing raged on for a while, back and forth. Yes, we need them. No, we don't. And finally, it was put to an end by a fellow who said something along the lines of, I cannot tell you 
what my wife made for me uh, for dinner last night. Sorry, this is, remember, we do, you know, the egging house forgetting curve. Actually, I'm not sure I can remember what I had for dinner last night either. Fortunately, we went out, so, yeah. And the thing is, he says, I can't remember. He says, but I'm quite certain of one thing. If I had not eaten food for the last 40 years, I would most certainly have starved to death. I mean, that's the notion. The notion is we're being fed. We don't even know it. It's just something that's a part of our life. We don't know what kind of vitamins we're getting. We don't know, and hopefully through the whole counsel of God, we're getting all of those things that we, that we need. Did you know uh, that inkjets, uh, inkjet printers, now if you're old enough, You'll know this, but anyway. High-definition monitors, advanced fuel cells, and these beautiful uh, paint jobs on cars and so forth that we see and stuff like that. They, they owe their existence to uh, dried coffee drop. <laughs> so, yeah, you wouldn't think so, but Sidney, uh, Sidney Nigel, he was a physicist at the University of Chicago. He's having his coffee one morning, and he spills a little bit on the table. And, and because he's a physicist, engineers do this too, he looks at it and he says, that's not right. It shouldn't dry that way. Now, you all know what I'm talking about, right? Because when a coffee drop hits something and dries, it forms a, a ring around the side that's darker than the ring in the middle. Now, as a physicist, he said, that shouldn't happen. That spot should all be the same uh, color, the same uh, density, or, or, or however he would have described that. So he went and he took it to his colleagues, and he said, what do you think about this? And believe it or not, this is the University of, Col of uh, Chicago, you know, the physics department, they couldn't figure it out. So they said, let's bring in the chemists. So they brought the chemists in. The chemists couldn't figure it out. They even got the biologists involved. The biologists came in. They couldn't figure out. Nobody could figure out why this thing dried the way that it did. And so what they did, they finally, uh, over time, months, they figured out what it was, which I obviously can't go into it because I, I don't have a clue. But it has something to do with these three phases of evaporation in a drop, whatever, something along those lines. But here's the thing. Because he made that observation, which seemed, you know, because for us, what are you going to do with a coffee drop when you spill your coffee? You're just going to wipe it off. You don't care. It's gone, right? But because of that now, Changes literally in physics, biology. Yep, inkjet printers now because before you always wanted a laser printer. Why? Because it was clear. Inkjets are clear now. And it's clear because of a coffee spot. These beautiful paint jobs you see on, on they're, they're clear because of a coffee spot. So this notion of church being mundane, think again. Think again because thinking about God will get you somewhere. But knowing God, knowing God requires community. 
requires revelation. Paul wrote in verse 3, that that mystery was made known to me, not discovered by me, not made known by any other means except for revelation. Blaise Pascal was brilliant. But it was not his brilliance that saved him. It was the brilliance of God, our Savior. Salvation is not a riddle to be figured out. It is a mystery to be accepted. It is something that requires God's gracious initiative in your life and in my life to disclose himself. Because there are things about God that we will not know unless he chooses to tell us. But having chosen to tell us about his son Jesus Christ and the mystery of the church, we must not forget. Father, we're deeply grateful that you have made this mystery known to us. We're thankful for all of the Lord, I I can't even imagine all of the pain and all of the suffering and all that it took to make salvation possible, but you did. You did through your Son, Jesus Christ. We don't need to know all of those things. We never will know the depth of those things. But we do know this. It is a free gift for us. May we trust Him. Trust Him as believers. Trust Him for salvation if we have not yet done so. We commit this to You. And we look forward to the day of Your return. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.